Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We'll uh, start by giving you a test this morning. How's that? What's our theme right now in Romans? What? Service. And, and we're talking about serving God because of what else did Romans tell us about? What's the first thing Romans told us? See if you're learning anything. That we're all what? Sinners. And we can't save ourselves. So as a result of that, it changes from talking about sin to talking about what? Salvation. Now somebody else has to answer this besides Aggie. Aggie's giving me all the answers up here. Then he talks about salvation to the fact that he uh, sets us apart to himself, which is what's, what's a doctrinal word for that? Sanctification. And, and then Paul writes in Romans about Paul being an all-powerful, all-knowing God, which really means what? He's a, we're stuck on the S, so he's what? He's a sovereign God. The same one answered sanctification, was afraid to answer that loud, and she just mouthed it to me at, at that point. So because of all those things, because of everything that, that God has done for us in Christ, because we're sinners that can save ourselves, we're saved completely by grace through faith in Him as a free gift, God sets us apart into Himself. He's a sovereign God that always keeps His promises. Because of all those things, we ought to, we ought to serve Him. And that's what He talks about in, in these closing chapters from chapters 12 through 13, uh, the reasons why we ought to serve Him. He, he started out in, in Romans 12 telling us several things that we ought to be that would kind of help us better be servants of God. And he told us we needed to be living sacrifices. He, he told us that we need to be a functioning part of the body. Everybody in the church needs to be doing something the way God has gifted them. He, he told us that we ought to be practicing examples of love. He told us we ought to be patient when it comes to trying to seek vengeance after somebody because that belongs to God. Uh, so we need to be patient ourselves uh, in that matter. And then when he gets into chapter 13, he's more or less telling us this, that, that we need to be Christian citizens or we need to be, you, you might want to look at it in a different way because some people get lost in that idea of citizenship. We, we ought to be the best representatives of Christ we can be in the culture that we live in. Uh, if anyone ought to be a good citizen, it should be Christians. So we, we started last week and we had that kind of special law enforcement uh, recognition Sunday because uh, as he writes about being a, a good citizen, he talks about the uh, government not bearing the sword in vain and that kind of gives us our entry level uh, experience with law enforcement if we do bad and things like that. But he's, he's still writing about being a good citizen. He's still writing in chapter 13 about being the best representative for Christ we can be in our culture. And he's going to wind up giving us four reasons why we should be the best citizens that we could be, or we should be the best Christians, the best representatives for Christ in our culture that we can be. The first reason that he gave us was kind of a, a, 
not the highest level maybe, but it was that we might avoid judgment. Because if you do bad, you're going to be arrested or be punished. So we, we ought to be a good citizen for the sake of judgment. But not just that, a higher reason is that we ought to do it for the sake of conscience, simply because we know in our heart what's right and what's wrong, and that's why we ought to do it, not just because we're afraid we'll get caught. We, we ought to be the best representatives of Christ we can be, the best citizens we can be for conscience' sake. Today, the third reason, and I was, to be honest with you, I was going to do uh, reason number three and reason number four today, but the more I looked at reason number four, in the last few verses in Romans 13, it will really make a, a better Easter message. So next week, we're going to do something a, a little bit different. We're going to tell you a hiatus from, from Romans for one week. We're going to do the Lord's Supper in a special way to kind of prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday, as it will be coming up. Uh, may even have a deacon ordination or something like that take place uh, in, in the midst, but it's still going to be a really, really cool Sunday. You don't want to miss it because we're going to take the Lord's Supper, I think, in a way that will bless you uh, next Sunday morning. So please try and come and, and be part of that. And then Easter Sunday, we'll finish up Romans 13. But, but today, the, the third reason why we ought to be the best Christians we can be in our society, the best representatives of Christ we should be in our, our culture is simply this. We ought to do it for the sake of love. You and I should strive to be the best Christians we can be. Strive to be the best person we can be. The best servant of Christ we can be in the culture that we live in for the sake of love. Look at verse 8 through 10, and then we'll spend the rest of our time just looking at these, uh, at these three verses. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. He, he just kind of finished writing about government and, and why government ought to be a reason why we try and be good citizens. But instead of just talking about how we ought to relate to government or officials and authority, now he's going to write to us about our neighbors or other people, how we ought to respond toward others. Instead of just thinking about the law, he's going to go to a much deeper reason, a higher level, as to why we ought to treat people the way we should. Why we ought to be the representative of Christ we should be in our day-to-day -day lives. And it's not just because there are laws that might get you if you fail to be the person you ought to be, but you and I as Christians, for the sake of love, we ought to treat people the way we should treat them. The way God would have us to treat them, not just that we're afraid that we might get caught. So it's kind of two main things I want you to get today and be some uh, sub-points underneath each one. But, but here's the first one in a lot of what Paul's writing. Love is a debt that you and I have to pay. He said, owe no one anything except to love each other. So we're under this, this obligation. You and I as Christians have a debt that we need to pay. He, he said we need to be loving other people. Now, now there's, a, uh, there's a misconception uh, about this I want you to, to understand to begin with. 
Uh, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but there's a, a really a prevalent misconception where it says, owe no one anything. The, the act of, uh, of owing someone something, the word itself means that you're accruing this debt. And because of it, you're under this obligation. It comes from a root word that means to heap up or to accumulate. And there have been a lot of well-meaning theologians, I mean some big-name theologians, that, uh, that I read some things, uh, statements they had made down through the years, who have taken these words here, owe no one anything, those, those four words. And they've taken those words to try and teach that it's always completely wrong for any believer to go into debt. They'll try and teach that it's totally wrong for any any Christian, any believer to incur any kind of financial debt whatsoever. Now, while we ought to borrow money with sense, you know, with common sense, we need to borrow money responsibly, and we need to pay back what we owe, that is not what this text is teaching. He is not telling us that it is completely wrong for anyone to ever incur any financial debt. In fact, the Bible says this in some other cases just to prove my point. In uh, Exodus, it says, If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not... Be like a money lender to him, and you shall not extract interest from him. So I want you to notice something. Borrowing is not prohibited here. Okay? Look at the next verse. Deuteronomy says, You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. Interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreign interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you and all you undertake in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. So once again, there's not a prohibition there against borrowing. And then Jesus said this, Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So the Bible does not prohibit anyone ever incurring debt. That's not what Paul is teaching in this passage of Scripture. If you think about it logically, if no one could incur any kind of debt, how many people would be able to have a house? Some people would not have an automobile. Some people could not have an education and pay for college. And things like that. If you could not incur any kind of debt whatsoever. It's interesting, though, that the Bible doesn't forbid borrowing uh, money or legal financial transactions, what it does forbid is this. It forbids a Christian to extract interest from another Christian. It says that a believer should not charge interest to another believer. It said if it was of a foreigner, that could be done, but a believer should not charge interest of another believer. And he even said that you might be blessed. So, uh, I don't know if we have any leaders of financial institutions here with us today or the next service or anything like that. It might make you start to feel nervous if you're a believer. You might start wondering, well, I'm going to have to go, you know, will my bank, will the people I work for let me go through our accounts and see if these people are Christians? If so, I'm not supposed to charge them interest. I would say amen to that, wouldn't you? 
But, but the prohibition here is not against anyone ever borrowing money. It, it's, it, it, there's more of a prohibition against someone charging interest. But the only reason I'm kind of taking time to address this is that the, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of error being taught using these four verses. A lot of misconception that's out there taking these four verses and trying to teach that it's wrong for anyone to ever borrow money. And that's not the point that Paul is teaching. The proper interpretation is this. The proper interpretation, he says, owe no one anything, you gotta keep reading, except to love each other. The, the word that he uses for love here is a form of the agape love, the God type of love. But here it means to love in a social or moral sense. <clears throat> but this is really important here because you understand in, in, in the Greek, the, there, there are verbs that have different tenses to it. And, and based upon the tense of the verb that's used in the Greek, it, it really kind of changes the emphasis of what's being said. Well, here, the, this form of agape, this word that's translated love, is in the perfect tense. And since it's in the perfect tense, it means it has a linear or an ongoing action or an effect. So what he's saying is this, it's a continuing love. We're to owe no one anything except to continually love each other. Not love someone once and think I did a kind deed for them and now I'm off the hook. But as believers, Paul's telling us that we're under this obligation to continually love others. To continually love each other. To, to continually love our neighbor. In other words, think about it like this. He's making a point that you and I who are Christians, we have a continuing debt that is never ever paid in full. There will never ever be a moment in time in our lives as Christians where we can say, all right, I have loved all I have to love. I have paid that in full. I have loved my neighbor all I have to love my neighbor. I have loved others all that I have to love them. There will never be a time that we will erase that debt. Jesus told us in John chapter 13 and verse 34, He looked at His disciples and He gave them this command. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. You're to love one another. And here we're being told to love our neighbors. We're to, we're to treat others as though we are paying a debt to love them. The way we respond toward other people ought to be like we are under this awareness that we have this debt over us that we have to pay. Just like you, when you incur a debt, you have to pay that monthly bill in order to be doing correctly. You and I as believers have an ongoing debt to love other people. And it's a debt that will never, ever, ever be paid in full where we can forget about making the payment. See, when you're paying a loan, a car loan, for instance, once you pay it off, you don't keep sending a check, do you? You know? I hope you don't if you've paid it off. And every now and then, you know, when you're trading cars and things like that, they'll estimate, you know, what the payoff will be. And they've actually overestimated it before. And I've even got a little bit of a check in return. It's always good when the bank has to send you money back, you know because they charged uh, too much. But but the point is, I finished paying that debt. I don't want to keep sending a check. You get your house paid for, 
you don't want to keep sending a check. You get the credit card paid off, you don't want to keep sending a check. It's paid off. It's paid in full. But for you and I as Christians, there will never, ever be a time that we in our lives don't have this love check that we need to write out. We need to always, always, always continually be loving other people. We'll never, ever reach a time that we can say, I've loved enough. I've loved enough people. I love that person enough times. It's a continuing debt that he has upon us as believers. And why would we have a debt to love like that anyway? Why in the world would, would we have such a debt? Here's why. Because God so loved us. Amen? But because Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross for us, we are forever indebted to love others because Jesus so loved us. We're underneath this constant debt to love others. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And, you know, if you want to see how to imitate God, here's one way to do it. And walk in love as... Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So as Jesus loved us and He gave Himself up upon the cross sacrificially to die for us, it's like this fragrant offering, this wonderful smell in the nostrils of God the Father because of what Jesus did by loving us and going to the cross for us. So in a similar way, you and I can bless God. You and I can send a fragrant offering up to God if we will sacrificially love others, if we'll walk in love like Jesus walked in love. We're underneath an obligation to love others, and it's an obligation that's never paid in full. A couple of early church fathers, uh, give you a couple of quotes from really, really early church fathers. It's, uh, goes back farther than Billy Graham. So you, you probably don't know these guys unless you've read some in, in early church history. But look at a couple of quotes here. Here's one from Irenaeus. Some of you may not have ever heard of him before, but he was in the, uh, really, really early, early church. Uh, and it said, God did not make the first human because he needed company. That's not why God made us. But because He wanted someone to whom He could show His generosity and love. God made mankind so He could prove to mankind and exhibit His wondrous love by sending Jesus to die on the cross. He could show His generosity and love. He did not tell us to follow Him because He needed our help, but because He knew that loving Him would make us whole. Here's, here's another quote. From, from origin. He said this, the debt of charity is permanent. And we are never quit of it. For we must pay it daily and yet always owe it. There's never a time that you and I would have paid enough love out. We're under a debt to continually love others. And if we will be Paying that debt day in and day out, we can be the best citizens that we ought to be in the culture that we live in. We can be the best representatives of Christ that we ought to be in the culture in which we live if we will be beloved others. But not only a, a, a debt that we have to pay, there's also found in this concept of love a, a, a reason why we ought to obey God to start with. A reason why we ought to obey His law. 
Love gives us the reason to obey. The Bible says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What he's saying is simply this. Love. Us having that continual love in our heart will give us the right reason, the right motive to obey and live right to start with. Some of the words that he uses there, the, the word for loves is the same word that we saw a moment ago in a social moral sense. It's also in the perfect tense. So he's talking about if, if we will continually love other people, that's going to be what fulfills the law. When, when he talks about fulfilling the law, it's a word that we saw a few months ago in a, in a different uh, message that we were going through a different series at the time. So it's been more months than I realize, I guess. But uh, the word fulfill means to, to make replete. Uh, it means to cram a net full. Like if you, you can get one or two more fish in the net and you're filling the net as full as you can uh, of fish. It was used uh, also, this Greek word was used to talk about filling up a, a hollow spot or a pothole, you know, so to speak, in the road to where you're making it uh, level and it's, and it's a good place to, to walk. Uh, I'm lucky, luckily today I'm not on crutches or something because during the Patriot Guard funeral that we went on yesterday, I was walking through a, a, a church front yard, not a cemetery, a lot of holes sometimes in the cemetery. It was the front yard of the church. And I'm walking across through there and I hit a hole that, uh, you know, if I had been, been going a lot faster, I might be up here on crutches, uh, this morning. Someone needed to fill that hole up, you know, so it wouldn't be a, a problem for me. That's the, the idea that's being given here. So if we will be continually loving other people, that will cram the net full, so to speak. That will level up the hollow place of us being obedient, of us fulfilling God's law is what he's telling us. And here's what he means by that. You see, when we practice love, there's not really any need for other laws. Because what Paul is telling us, is that love, you and I practice in a continual love, covers it all. He said there in the second part of verse 8, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If, if, I, if I'm loving somebody, I will not want to violate the law that will hurt them. I will not want to injure them. I will not want to respond in a wrong way against somebody if I am honoring the law by loving them. If my motive is to love them, then a, a, a byproduct of that will be that I will obey the commandments in regards to who they are. See, a lot of the commandments are there for relational purposes. Part of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship to God. Part of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship with other people. In the, in the New Testament, the, the Ten Commandments aren't alluded to a whole lot because the deal is we're not living under the law anyway. We're under grace. Thank God for that. Amen? And you'll notice in this list, it doesn't say anything about the Sabbath because we don't worship on the Sabbath. Every day is a Sabbath for us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
We, we worship on, on Sunday because Jesus took His life back up on Sunday. That's why Christians celebrate on Sunday instead of worshiping legalistically somehow on the Sabbath. You see, our, our motive as believers is to love other people, not to obey some legalistic law. You, you and I as Christians are not under the law. We're under grace. And because we're under grace, because our lives have been impacted by the love of God, then, then we ought to love other people. And that should be our motive when it comes to obeying the commandments of God. Not that we're afraid that God's in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting to get us, but because there's other people that He tells us to love. And, and if we'll love them in, in the right way, we'll not be wanting to, to harm them. You see what Paul's doing in these verses he centered in on the very heart of the problem. And the very heart of the problem is the human heart. That's where the very heart of the problem is. It's in our human heart. Look at verse 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why, why did God, why did God create government? You know why He created government? Because man's heart's sinful. And we'll choose to do the wrong thing. And we need the laws of the, of the land to kind of be parameters for us. Because you see, everybody's not a Christian and everybody's not motivated by love. So there needs to be these laws in place that kind of help keep our, our culture from just being total chaos. That's what we were talking about last week. But laws of the land can never change a human heart. The Ten Commandments will not change a human heart. The only thing that changes the human heart is the love of God. The only thing that transforms our heart is the love of Jesus. The fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and faith in Him. That's what transforms a human heart. Not obeying the law, but by, by trusting in Christ. And when we trust in Christ... That same love that He showed for us ought to be in our lives. And if we'll practice that love toward others, all these words really begin to make sense. When He says, you shall not commit adultery, He uses an absolute negative there. You shall absolutely not in any way commit adultery. You shall absolutely not in any way. Some translations say kill, some say murder. The word that's used there means murder. When it says thou shalt not kill in the Old Testament, it means thou shalt not murder. And, you know, well, I like the fact that it says thou shalt not kill, and I think you shouldn't even step on a bug. I have met people like that. Then what are you going to do with the rest of the Bible when God tells Joshua to go in and kill people? It's not thou shalt not kill us, that thou shalt not commit homicide. Thou shalt not murder someone for no reason. It's not that it's wrong to kill someone if they are trying to kill you or anything like that. It doesn't say uh, that. It's saying you shall not commit murder. It says you absolutely shall not set your heart upon, long for something, have this passion, covet after something that is not yours. And then he says it's more or less any other law that you want to come up with is summed up in this Word. It's fully comprehended to realize in this Word that we will love, once again, have a social and a moral love for others. It's in the perfect tense, once again, which means it's an ongoing linear action we're to be continually loving other people. We're to continually love 
your neighbor. And that word neighbor, we'll talk about it in more detail in just a moment. But it means the one that's near you, close by, a fellow man, a fellow human, a near neighbor. And he says we're to love them as we do what? What does it say? Love ourselves. In the same manner, in the same way that we love ourselves. We are to be practicing love toward others. What does Paul mean by all this? He's simply saying this. Love, authentic Christian love, continually practice, will not do his neighbor wrong. That's what he's saying. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. If you are really loving somebody, you're not going to want to commit adultery against them. You are not going to want to steal from them. You will not want to injure them or murder them or covet what they have and lust after what is theirs. You will not respond in wrong ways toward your neighbor if you're practicing love toward them. Does that make sense? You see the higher motive? See, a lot of people just obey the law as long as they think, well, you know, I'm going to obey this because I'm afraid I'll get caught. But if I knew I won't, if I know I won't get caught, then I, then I might not obey it. You see, that's not the motive for, for Christians. But the motive for Christians is that we are to, to love. And when he, when he says love does no wrong to his neighbors, a different form of agape. Here it more or less means a love feast. That's the way we're to be loving others as though we're giving this, this feast of love, uh, toward others. We will absolutely do no wrong. We will not work or toil or do anything deprived or hurtful or injurious or wicked or evil against our neighbor. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Because love is the fulfilling of the law. A person motivated by love will not commit adultery. A person motivated by love, constrained by love, will not commit murder, will not steal, will not covet. Now let me set things in context. I'm not saying, you clearly understand this, that a Christian does not have the capacity to do those things. Regrettably, we do have the capacity. But, we're under an, but we are under an obligation not to do it because we ought to love others like God loves us. That's what Paul is telling us. I told you we'd talk more about the word neighbor, so uh, here's, here's the deal with neighbor. Because some of you might have been thinking, as I kept saying neighbor, alright, I'm going to love this person who lives over here beside of me on this side of my property line, and the person over here that lives beside of me on that side of my property line, I'm going to love them, and they're my neighbors, but you know, since he says love your neighbor like that, I've got an out because there are a whole lot of people that are not literally my neighbors. We see the word neighbor does not give you that kind of out. The word neighbor, if you remember what I said a moment ago, it, it, it means someone near you. So I, I don't live beside of Justin. But right now he's near me. That makes him my neighbor. I don't live right beside of, look around, be sure, anyone that's in the service <laughs> right now. Uh, we've got a family that comes to the church that's just two doors down uh, from, from me. But that does not mean that the people that are five doors down or ten miles away or in Africa or in Guatemala, that doesn't mean that they're not my neighbor. 
We're getting ready to send people to Africa and Guatemala. When those people are there, you know what? Literally, they'll be neighbors because they'll be near those people with an opportunity to love them the way Jesus wants them to be loved. I read a story about a pastor that had a man in his church that was completely against giving to missions. And the excuse that he gave was this. He, he said, the Bible says, well, I'm to love my neighbor, so the one that's here beside of me and there beside of me, I'll, I'll, I'll love. And the pastor looked at him and he asked, well, how many acres of land do you have? And this guy had about 50 acres of land. So he said, well, how many neighbors do you have around the edge of your property? And I think he had maybe four, uh, whose property lines came up and, and touched his. And then the pastor asked him, well, how far down does your land go? And he said, oh, I don't really know. And he said, you know, well, you know the old adage, well, maybe to China. There are people on the other side of the globe whose land will be coming up to your land. So, so us trying to say that the word neighbor doesn't really apply to others that we come in contact with, that doesn't give us an out. Jesus had this man come up one time and, and ask him, this uh, lawyer, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus kind of changed the question from who is my neighbor to who are you a neighbor toward? And the way Jesus responded to that question was to tell the, the story out of Luke chapter 10, verse 32-36 of the Good Samaritan. And if you'll remember that story, there's this man that's going along the road and you know thieves fall upon him and he's beat and he's there about to die. And there's some religious people that walk by. There's a Levite that comes by and he sees him and kind of... Skirts around the outside and doesn't take time to help him. And a, and, and a priest comes by and he just looks at him and he goes around and doesn't take time to help him. But in the story of Jesus, there's this good Samaritan and to add teeth to what Jesus is saying, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And yet there's this Jewish man laying there in the road, bleeding to death. And this Samaritan comes by, even though there's this animosity between the, the Jews and the Samaritans, this Samaritan comes by and He cares for him and He loves him and He wraps up His wounds and He takes him and He puts him in the end and He pays money for him to be cared for. And then Jesus turns the question back to the lawyer and He asks him, who was the neighbor? The two that walked by or the one that stayed there? The Samaritan and helped him and this Jewish lawyer, as much as he hated to, had to admit that his neighbor, the one that treated him right, was really the good Samaritan. Though more or less Jesus changed the question, it is not necessarily the question or the idea of who is your near neighbor, but the question is this, who will you be a neighbor to? Who will you love? Who will you take time to respond to? There, there are more people, you, you, are you aware of this? There are more people that are one to Jesus by love than by arguments. 
That's why our culture doesn't want to have anything to do with the church, because every time the church hits the national news, they're bickering and fussing and fighting with each other. This denomination or this convention or whatever the case might be, when what we need to be doing is loving the culture around us to Jesus. We'll not debate them to Jesus. We'll not argue them to Jesus. But we can love them to Jesus. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, love never fails. And Jesus stressed Himself the importance of loving God and others because in answer to another question one time where another lawyer came up trying to trip Jesus up with a question, Matthew 22, verse 35 through 40, it said, One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. So mark that down in your book. You want to know what comes first, what the first goal is in your life? It's to love God. Then, I'm sorry, go back, please, so I can finish reading. Thank you. And then he said, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then notice what Jesus said on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus said all the stuff you read about in the Old Testament, everything the prophets said, everything the law says, all hinges on these two things. Two things. First one is this, love God. Second one is love others. Love God and love others. He's writing about you and I as Christians serving God. We need to be the, re- the best representatives we can be for Christ in our culture. We, we ought to be the best citizen, the best representative we can be because of judgment's sake. There are laws that we should obey as Christians. We, we should be the best representative of Christ, the best citizen we can be. For conscience sake, because we know what's right and wrong. But thirdly, here in Romans 13, he gives us a high motive as to why we ought to be the best citizens, the best representatives for Christ we can be in our culture. And that's for the sake of love. Two weeks on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about this, for the sake of Christ. That's the highest motive. That's the highest reason for Jesus' sake. We ought to be the best Christians that we can be. The one great way for you and I, as we've seen today, to be the best representative, the best Christians we can be, is for us who know the love of Jesus, to love others like Jesus loved us. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Since we have as Christians a continuing debt that is never paid in full, Who is it that you need to love? Who is it right now that you know needs love from you as a Christian? In the uh, updates today, last week you had a flag, this week you've got a heart. And I want you to please to take that out if you don't have one, if you've dropped yours, if you didn't get an update, there's some up here at these crosses. 
And if you know of someone, if you can think of, of someone, uh, maybe just write their first name down or their initials or something like that. Someone that you know needs love from you as a Christian. Then I want to invite you in a moment as a band starts to play just to come. Stayed into Jesus, making a commitment to Him that you're going to try to love that person the way Jesus loves you. And put it on the cross. If you don't have a specific name in mind, then that's fine. Just come and stick the heart up here saying that you're making a commitment to love others, to love your neighbor because Jesus loved you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, help us right now to uh, to consider how much You've loved us by sending Your Son. And God, how You through the pen of Paul tell us that we've got this debt that we owe. A continual debt that is never paid in full to love others. Help us right now as Your people to make commitment, commitments to love others like You've loved us. Father, help us right now to, to make commitments in, in, our, in our, God, in our hearts as we think about our Easter offering to help support other people being reached in North America and other people being reached in Guatemala. Father, we pray that you, you seal in our, in our hearts the, the desire and the amount that you'd have us to give toward Africa that other people in, in May may, may come to know and beyond May as, as the impact of this ministry goes on in South Africa, that they may, they may come to know Christ. God, help us to send love across North America. Help us to send love to Guatemala. Help us to send love to Africa. But Father, help us to send love to those that we come in contact with each and every day of our lives. Help us to live our lives loving You and loving others. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For some reason you have never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to invite you also as these come to the cross to put their hearts there. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not come with your heart and give your heart to Christ? And I'll be here at the front and I would love to spend time to talk to you at the end of the service. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.